You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127. It is page 613 in your pew Bible. Although if you can't find Psalm 127, we need to meet after church. It's just right dead in the middle of your Bible. Just fly 127. So Psalm 127, just kidding. We don't need to meet. I'm just, that's not, we don't really need to. The first couple of verses here in Psalm 127, kind of a, a very a familiar, I think, passage probably to you, but one that uh, I often return to in my own thinking and just want to spend a few moments this morning, not necessarily expositing the passage, but kind of launching from the idea that's, in the, that's given here in Psalm 127. So this is Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So I've got... uh, my daughter started saying that with me now as I say it. That's all right. Uh, I, have, I got two final sermons here at First Christian Church and just have spent my, some time uh, just trying to wrap my mind around well, what can you say in, in a final couple of sermons. There's obviously a ton of directions I could go, um, many things I could say. There are many uh, thanks that I could express. Um, there are many joys that I've been blessed to experience here. There are many sorrows that we've gone through together, that we've borne together. Um, and yet there is an awareness of a specific season that's coming to an end. Um, after five and a half years, my efforts at this specific location um, is, is ending. And, you know, if that were the whole story... Um, it would be a very sad and seeming failure. Like there is a sense in which you look at giving five and a half years and my, my goal upon coming here was not to, you know, just spend five years and then do go whatever else, wherever else. My goal, what my hope was to, to, to bring health and life and vitality and enjoyment of Jesus to this local congregation. But so if, that is, if that's the goal, it can seem like well, this is uh, ending on a failure. This is ending on something not going well. Very sad. But it's important, that I, and I want you to know why I don't recognize this as a story of failure. God, in his mercy, opened my eyes and changed my mind on what the objectives in the Christian life really are. What are the measures of success that we really live our lives by? My life's been profoundly impacted by the stories. I never met any of them, but the stories of missionaries and people from church history, even recent church history, who who lay down their lives in service and in areas that they would really see no measurable success from their ministry. Um, 
men like Jim Elliott uh, giving his life for the Warani Indians down in Ecuador who really saw no fruit from his labors but was just glad to spend his life. His quotes on our wall on Joel's picture, it says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Men like Jim Elliott, people like um, uh, Eric Little. You remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire? Uh, actually, Eric Little's story is much more interesting than just the Olympics that he sat out on. And Eric Little went on as a missionary, was held in a, a Japanese internment camp, prison camp, concentration camp in China, and was, was held there during World War II and dies uh, ministering. He, he could have, he was an Olympian, an American Olympian could have really had the diplomatic means to get out, but decided, chose to stay, to minister, to have a little congregation basically there in this concentration camp where he then did die due to health issues. Men like Adoniram Judson, men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all of these men who give their lives and often saw no fruit from their labors. They were simply faithful, with God's help, at the task as it was set before them. What are we seeking to build with our lives? What do we want our lives to stand for? And the message of Psalm 127 is a clear message. If you ever just, you just take a few seconds to reflect on what the psalmist is saying, the message is fairly clear. There's a negative side to these concepts brought up and, and also a very deep and lasting hope. There's negative and then there's, but in that, ne it's, a, it's a negative statement saying that if God doesn't build the house, your labor's in vain. And if you can stay up all night trying to protect what's yours, but if God isn't watching over the city, all of your alertness, all of your effort, it isn't going to count for anything. Unless God is watching over the city, unless God is the one overseeing the work, the staying up late, the laboring is all in vain. Getting up early, going to bed, going late to rest, eating the bread, bread of anxious toil. It's all for naught. It's a very negative passage. But, but flowing out of that is then this hopeful refrain, right? That he does give his beloved sleep. How so? Because if... If, the, if God is the one building the house, then the labor is not in vain. And if God is watching over what you're working on, what you're watching over, then your watching is not in vain. The reality that the psalmist speaks of is the futility of our efforts outside of the work that God is engaged in. We can toil, labor, strive to bring something about but if the thing we are working to achieve is not what God is working to achieve, <laughs> our labor is in vain. We've given our lives to something that will not last. You can build the most beautiful life, the most impressive scenario, the most impressive circumstances, have the most luxury and enjoyment of this world that you can build up. But if it isn't the house that God is building, it's gone. I say week after week, the grass withers, the flower fades, the houses fall, the celebrations end, but God and his word, they endure forever. God has an objective. There is something that he is doing. 
and it's expressed through a couple of our core convictions. Um, one of our core, the core convictions is that all things exist from God and for God. One of our core convictions is that God's glory is central and absolutely essential to the life of a believer. Who made you? God made me. Why did God, what else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. We exist. All of this exists from God and for God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And secondly, the second, another conviction that we have is that God is on a mission to redeem a people back to himself. This is the house God is building. For his own glory, redeeming a people back to himself expressly through the work of Christ. This is the house, the project that God has undertaken. And this is the project that he will accomplish. This is the stark and bleak reality that we must confront in our small and simple lives. Sorry if that offends you. In our small and simple lives... All of the tasks that we undertake with our own hands will fade away, will be forgotten in this world. I mean, I go back to, I think I said just a few weeks ago, but sharing stuff on Facebook, all these pictures of history, and you see these pictures of men and women living in Mount Air, I don't have a clue who they are. Mike Abbott might know them at some level, who they were. <laughs> Tony's got his history page, and they, they, they tie back who they were, but... They're, 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 they're gone. Their, their lives are largely, even their legacy. We drive by the Dunning Monument at, uh, out at Rose Hill, right? We live on Dunning Avenue. I mean, but that's a few hundred years ago. I mean, and I don't know that, that, that legacy, all of these things, all of this work, this, this stark and bleak reality is that the things that we labor long and hard for, if they are simply the things of this world, ultimately they will not last. Ultimately, they will not last. They will all be created with vain labor. If you want your life to be for something more, we ought not to give ourselves to labor that is in vain, but rather to cinch our lives as tightly as we can to the project that will not fail, God's glory and redeeming a people for himself. God is about that work. And if you want your labor to not be in vain, then what labor that we must invest in is joining God in the kingdom that he is building. The psalmist, he goes on, he says that all of our alertness, all of our staying awake and worrying is pointless if God is not the one watching over all of it. God is watching over it to bring all things to their appointed end. If the city that you seek to build is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self, not the kingdom of preference, not the kingdom of tradition, not the kingdom of what I want to see happen, but the kingdom of God, you can be certain that it is not in vain that you stay awake and labor hard because you can be confident that God will see his kingdom built and watch over his kingdom for its ultimate protection. So I think back and I'm trying to figure out 
big changes. The year, the change of the year always does this to me where I get real reflective, like, okay, what do I want to see happen next year and what's happened this year? Then I think back over more years, like, how did I even end up here? And it's kind of amplified with this major change in my family at the turn of the year. It's like, what in the world, how did I even get to this place? And I'm trying to figure out where I was liberated from to, to live, liberated truly to live anchored uh, and satisfied by the work of Christ. This, this change of mindset that said, if I want my life to mean something, it cannot be about trying to amass as much as I can for myself, but giving my life to something bigger and something greater, something that is eternal. And I'm trying to figure out, thinking back, where does that come from? And I honestly, I think a lot of it stems from a book we've, we went through a few summers ago, uh, just a popular level book written recently called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. I've got tons of copies of them. If you want them, it would be my Christmas gift to give you one if you would go take it home and read it. I bought it on vacation. We were down in Orlando, and uh, we're the kind of weird people that when you go on vacation on a Sunday, we'll find a church to go to, which is, I don't know, but that's what we did. And so we got on the website and started looking up churches and found one we wanted to go to, and we take, and there's, they have a free book table. I love free book tables. And so I went, and I had this book called Don't Waste Your Life. I'm like, well, I'm interested in not wasting my life. What's that about? Never heard of this guy pick it up and I read it at the pool on my vacation and I read the whole thing. I devour it and my world is rocked. My world is rocked. In this book, Piper presses hard on the Christian to find their joy and their satisfaction in Christ alone and in laboring to give your life for something that will actually matter. Not just the humanitarian sense, but in the eternal sense one of the quotes that I love from this book, he says, Whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live for it and die for it. And you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. Whatever you do, Find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life. Find your way to say it and live for it and die for it. Why build this way? Why give your life to a work like this? Well, what we've discussed so far, because it's the only way to work for something that will last, something that has eternal value. But secondly, so then your confidence can rest appropriately in God and in Him alone. When we are working, undertaking this task, we are not, uh, the, the pressure, the burden is not our own. It, God is the one working his purposes. Not much can result when it's all on our back except continued worry, stress, anxiety, pressure, the worry of failure. Am I going to, is this going to matter? Am I going to make it? Is this, am I going to achieve this? Is it going to be respected? Are people going to notice? Are people going to appreciate it? And there's all this pressure. I've got to do something magnificent so people will notice and celebrate me. But when you're liberated to live for God's work, not your own, it takes that burden off of you and you can rest your confidence in God because you know that this kingdom that is being built that you've given your life to, he will not fail in bringing it about. When you are seeking to give your life in service to your king, you realize who the king is. You know that he is working his purposes 
And by his grace and his mercy, he has simply called you into your role. Do you know what that role is? Not in all of its particulars. We don't know. I mean, I had my guesses, and I thought, well, I'll give this a shot. And, you know, you think maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And, I, you know, you, you try the particulars. You, you try to figure these things out. But you don't know all the particulars of what it means to live for him and to, to try to build this kingdom. But in the broad sense, sense, it actually is very easy. It's faithfulness. It's trusting him. It's following him. It's laboring and watching, as Psalm 127 says, resting in the peace that he provides, knowing that he is over it all. It's faithfulness to him, trusting him, working for his purposes. Turn to me with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We don't have much more here, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I want you to think about Paul's attitude when it comes to this front of the grandness of what we're trying to accomplish here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we'll read through 2.5. Paul says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul has much to boast about. And it's, as you read Paul, it's, it's quite entertaining when he kind of goes on his little list of, oh, you want to brag? All right, let me tell you all the things I could brag about. I'm, you know, all these things. We're going to look at one of those passages, Lord willing, next week in Philippians. But even when Paul might have reason to boast, look at all the things God is doing through Paul's ministry. I mean, it's incredible to think of the churches he's starting, the, the, the message of the gospel going forward, going out into the Gentiles, and he's traveling the known world there. You can trace Paul's journeys, right? If you've got a decent study Bible, got the maps in the back, and you can follow all these places Paul is going, and people are being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church is growing. All these amazing things are happening in Paul's ministry. And he says, I don't, I don't, none of that. When I come to you, I don't come with lofty speech or wisdom. I come to you with the simple message of Jesus Christ crucified. Come to save sinners. Because when that gospel goes to work and saves souls and captures people with its beauty and its goodness, God gets the glory because the people have heard who Jesus is. God in choosing the foolish and simple regular people 
spreading the news of the, of the crucified Christ, God is the one who gets glorified when that labor actually produces fruit. I took a risk, kind of, not really, but in my mind it was a risk. I took a risk, I didn't really have much else to do, but when I, I took a risk when I started my ministry here because I made a decision. I'm just going to week after week try to faithfully point people to Jesus and see what happens. I ain't got no flash. I ain't all that funny. Uh, Darla, she's, she's an easy laugher, so that's why we, we fit well together. <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm not all that dashingly handsome and charming. Not all that. But, you know, I, I don't have a lot to give. I mean, you know, you, you, I mean, we're, we're limited in our abilities. We're, and so I took, I took this risk. I'm just going to point you to Jesus week after week. When you get bored... All I have to give you is not a, a, not a dance, not a song, not any comedy. When you get bored, just I point you to Jesus. When you're struggling, I just want to point you to Jesus. When you're self-satisfied, I want to point you to Jesus, call you to repentance. When we're apathetic, point them to Jesus. When hearts are discouraged, point them to Jesus. When sorrows grow strong, point them to Jesus. And I want to tell you, here's the incredible thing. God has done a work in many hearts. It's, and I, and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, I, this is what I'm going to do week after week. I'm going to point you to Jesus, call you to repent from your sins, look to Christ. He died to save you. He loves you. He wants to rescue you. Trust in Jesus. And then next week I get up here and I say, Jesus Christ, live the righteous life you should have lived. Die the death that you deserve so that everyone could turn from their sins, look to Christ and be saved, adopted into his family, made one of his own and given a glorious future. And week, you probably could have said it with me, week after week after week after week, no flash, no big amazing thing, but God has done a work in many hearts. And I'm blown away by that. I really am. I'm grateful for so many that have heard the message and have been brought in, not by my impressive preaching, not by entertaining music, not by creative sketches, not by my charm or by my wit, but simply by the good news of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation unto everyone who believes. Not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Piper says it again, and don't waste your life. He says, if you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on into eternity, you don't need to have a high IQ. You can see why this appeals to me. <laughs> you don't need to have a high IQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches or come from a fine family or a fine school. Instead, you have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things or one great, all-embracing thing and be set on fire by them. One thing. One thing if I desire, and that what I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to preach this good news. What are we seeking to build? What are we investing in and what are we investing with there is one blazing message. God in his 
infinite work put on display through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is worth giving your life for and certainly worth laboring for. Laboring, staying awake, toiling, giving yourself to a cause that will not fail. The gospel will do its work, even even in the face of opposition, even in the face of seemingly little fruit. The flip side of Psalm 127.1, last passage here, is on back in 1 Corinthians 15.58. If you have your own copy of God's word, I, I hope you've got this like noticed in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15.58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. God's passion, Piper again saying, God's passion for his own glory gives birth to ours. That is the single, all-embracing, all-transforming reason for being. A passion to enjoy and display God's supremacy in all things for the joy of all peoples. God created us to live with a single passion to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. The wasted life is a life without this passion. God God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan and work not to be made much of, but to make much of him in every part of our lives. That is such liberating news. It feels crushing to our worldly selves Not live for myself. Well, how will I matter? How will I find joy? How will I be satisfied? In God, in Christ, who is everything, who is everything. The wasted life is a life lived without this passion, but God calls us to pray, think, dream, plan, work, not to be made much of, but to make much of him in every part of our lives. To live like this is to not waste our lives. It is to not labor in vain or keep watch and worry for no point. God is working his eternal good purposes. And let us gladly put ourselves in his service for his glory and our eternal joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you invite dustlings. (laughs) You invite, God, our, our lives are just a, not even a flash in the pan, they're just here today and and gone tomorrow, and yet in your sovereign goodness, you invite us in. God, that you're doing a work to redeem all people, to create a people for yourself, and in your wisdom and in the mystery of who you are, you employ us in that work. And what a privilege, what a joy, what a glad responsibility it is to live for you, to to be able to say, my life is no longer my own. I have been bought with a price. We are yours. And how liberating it is, God, to know we don't have to labor in vain. We can give ourselves to you. And no matter the fruit that we see, no matter the response we may get, our confidence is not in what we produce. Our confidence is in this good news that will go forward that will not return void, that will accomplish its purpose, that God, our labor in you is never 
in vain. What a joy it is, God. You give your beloved sleep. That says there at the end of verse 2 of Psalm 127. You give your beloved sleep. What a joy it is to rest in your good purposes for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name.